Let's go, FC Live. It's Braun, Kratz, and Kipnis with you on a Thursday today. Nice FT shirt from Kip, too, by the way. And there's hoodies now, which actually, Kip, you're going to need. I love the modeling of the T-shirt, but breaking yeah. news in the last few days. There are FT hoodies on FoulTerritoryShop.com, and I heard that it is a cool negative billion in oh, Chicago awesome. right now. Don't be scared to send a hoodie to the guy in negative five degrees. That'd be a brush, too. You got some you got some sick Scott hair. Love I like that. it. Love this that. This is my favorite you. tip hair I've ever seen. It's got a, a nice flow and a little, a little a lot wave of jealousy. To the side. It's like a quaff that I have going this morning. It is so nice. Like you it is tell, you can tell I slept on this side. Started from the bottom, <laughs> now you're here. Look at you. Just listen, if your your jealousy is just pouring through your words right now. <laughs> it is so nice. Speaking of which here, on the jealousy front, you got to play with a dude that just retired. So before we dive into anything else, you weren't on the day that Michael Brantley made it official. So would you like to say any terrible words about one of the world's worst teammates in Uncle Mike? Honestly, I would like to say terrible words, but I I just can't. Uh, the guy's still, to this day, one of my better friends. Um, you want to talk about just one of the most down-to-earth quiet, humble, go about your business the right way, professional uh, teammate that you can have. The guy was awesome uh, to, to play alongside. He was helpful. It's basically like an extra hitting coach on the team because, I mean, ask around the league. That's one of the more professional at-bats of just being balanced and hitting the ball where it's pitched. And um, But just an overall, just a great guy. And uh, I'll actually be seeing him, I think, uh, out in March. Might be taking a little uh, – trip to Arizona for some golf and some spring training with a couple guys from the, the old, the old tribe. Ooh. Nice. Yeah. Tell them what's up. Tell them we'd love to have them on sometime. You got so it. You got I have it. two follow-up questions for you. Please. Number one is more of a baseball question. Having someone like Michael Brantley on the team, does it actually make other hitters better? Like can what he does be contagious? Just like they say with Carlos Santana for all these years, taking every other pitch. A hundred percent. It's contagious Um, when you, and that's when they mean when you have a guy that you can enter into a lineup where he's a spark plug or where he does something, when you, when you can count on a guy every time through the order to put up a good at bat, a professional at bat where he's not going to get cheated. He's not going to swing out of the zone or chase pitches. He's just going to stay in his zone um, and, and wait patiently and get a pitch that he's ready to hit that he can put the barrel on the ball and, um, it's just he keeps things so simple that it's infectious. That you're like, wow, why don't I do that? As you walk with your head down to the dugout after you chase something in the dirt, you're like, I got to keep things simple. And so, hundred percent, you just you watch and you just try to uh, retain everything from them. I love that. Okay, so then on the same front, personality wise, he's very simple. Yeah, kind of quiet, lead by example at times. Although you can have a great conversation with him, yeah. even media members too, right? Like some, most of the time, you'll have a better conversation with him off camera media wise and you will on camera so my question is what was he like i mean in the dugout did he ever just yell and be like let's fucking go or you know, no, give gifts no. to guys or anything like that or he's more just like in the corner anyone can go up to him and just talk hitting for an hour he is the polar opposite of me he is <laughs> like and kratz can attest this i am zero to a hundred i am either like quiet or I have like ADD going down in the dugout and I can't sit still and I'm screaming something or I'm talking crap. He is just even keeled the entire way, the whole way. Um, he never, he's, he's a funny guy though. He's sneaky, funny. You just, you're never going to get him to slip up. Like no media questions ever going to get him to say the wrong thing or anything like that. But if you put him in like a, where he's playing dominoes with Josh Tomlin or we're playing cards at a, in a hotel room, he's, he's one of the funnier dudes there is. You sad that he didn't get to hit, that he didn't get to hit 300. Like, I mean, he was a 300 hitter his whole career. Ended at 298. No, it shows I, how. Yeah, I, I'm. Ah, oh. oh, I you just gave me ammo. So good. Now I get to use that against him. It like, it like, I just looked it up just to double check because when he retired, I thought that's what I had said. But oh man, like it makes my hands sweat. Like this dude is the, like he's the epitome of a 300 hitter. And he also rakes too. He's not just a slap dick. Like he yeah. is, he rakes, but like he finished, you know, last few years, it just, so it just. Doo, doo, doo. Hey, the, the body does that. Father time catches up to everybody. But if you ask anybody, I guarantee if they didn't know that stat, 
if you asked if he was a 300 hitter, everyone's going to think he is anyways, as he should. He's earned that. Oh, we'll round up for him. We'll round. Oh, we'll round. We'll round Just, the. Yeah. Not, not to his face, but <laughs> yeah. We need, we need him to be on. I find him behind his back. You know what I'm saying? If let's say um, you're like, oh, he's at 29.8%. You're going to say 30. So if he's 295 or above. I feel like it's, that's 300 so for your career. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's yeah, so good. Just fun to watch. I mean, if AJ was here, he would say, no, he's got thousands of yeah. at-bats or played appearances. So two ninety eight. We don't have the wet blanket here today. We are. <laughs> the we got positivity. Well, let's bring AJ and his facts holding us back. From exactly. Point. Yeah. Facts are BS. <laughs> we need um, him on the show. I do have one fact, one more fact before we charge the mound on a signing for the Blue Jays. So we have surpassed 35,000 subs Let's go. on YouTube. I think we're at 35.2 or 3. So mm-hmm. thanks, fam. Appreciate you. But we're looking for 35 million. So tell your fam and friends and the world that FT is here and we're not going anywhere and we're here every single day. 1 to 3 Eastern. Okay, let's charge the damn mound. This signing happened yesterday. Started reporting facts about it, rumors um what it looked like around when the show was going on so we had some time to digest it the toronto blue jays did make a hefty signing here and ken confirms it for us they're in agreement with yariel rodriguez pending a physical hurdles remain with his immigration and i did see one report that said four years 32 million but not from ken and so i'm not sure yet what the numbers exactly look like um but ken did write about him and Kratz, we actually did receive quite a few questions and comments about him over the last several weeks. Where is he going to sign? And now we can actually spend some time talking about him. He's definitely a wild card. As you can see, he pitched for Cuba in the WBC, sat out this past season in Japan. Stuff looks like it could be off the charts, but the variables are like beyond Imanaga status. Imanaga, we're debating if he's between a three and a five. This dude could be between a number two starter and a mop-up guy. Yeah. I mean, a mop-up guy, I think, would be a little low. The the significant innings as a relief pitcher that he threw in 22, I think, shows that that, that, that can play. Again, he's not a large dude. I think he's like 6'1". So you start to think, okay, well, how does that stuff play out of his hand? I remember the start that he threw in the WBC. And it was it was really your standard Cuban pitcher with elite velo. Like those guys, they can they can they're athletic. They throw from every angle. You know, they'll mix in over the top, side, and then they so it's almost like they have three three elite pitches that are like six elite pitches because they can throw it from different angles. Like, you know, you think of like a uh like an Iglesias kind of kind of pitcher. And you lump Cuban pitchers into the same sphere because they play in the professional league down there early, and then they're playing international baseball early when they're young. And this guy, it's intriguing to me because he was over in Japan and had some success in Japan. So it's not like he's coming straight from Cuba and only playing in, in their Cuban professional league down there. Kip. The Toronto Blue Jays were seeking the Shohei Otani earlier this offseason. And at one point, we were duped and thought he might actually sign there. He did not. Since then, here's Rodriguez to add to the rotation, which we can dive into a little bit because Ryu's a free agent. Manoa is also a total wild card. Talk about somebody that could be a top-end starter or not be in the big leagues right now based on what happened last year. And they added IKF, Isaiah Connor-Falefa. But they lost with Merrifield. They added, well, re-added Kevin Kiermeyer. He's already been in their outfield. Dalton Varsho was supposed to play center. Now he's back in the corner for KK. But then that kind of rules out Cody Bellinger. So your thoughts on this and really what the Blue Jays are doing right now. They've had the talent on paper. They've underperformed based on what they look like in my mind. They're getting there. Um, I think this roster is still top to bottom is one of the more impressive rosters in the league. Uh, just with the the young guys that are getting better every time with Bichette and Vladdy. And um, I've always been a fan of their lineup, so I don't think offense has ever been their problem just from what I've watched. I think it's always coming down to, to pitching. I think 
you're you're you don't you can look across them. That's not a team you want to get into a slugfest with with Chapman and all of them. Like they really do have a deep lineup in Springer, and um, it's just you you don't want to count on winning ball games ten to nine. You'd like to have some starters and some guys that can uh, kind of go out there and limited offense for six to seven innings. And so it's I think this is a, a kind of a low risk, high ceiling uh, signing that they just did. I don't think that's not too much money for starting pitchers, especially for four years. Uh, if you get a bounce back from Manoa, they're going to be right where they want to be at the end of the season, in my mind. Yeah, it's kind of like a – I always forget the word, but in fantasy football when you draft one running back and then you draft the guy behind him in case he's – there's like a there's like a word for that. You're basically hedging your bets. The, the backup? Handcuff. Yeah. Handcuffing it. Handcuff. Yeah, you hang – they're handcuffing their starting rotation and – he could slide into the bullpen, which everybody needs bullpen help if their starters do what they did last year, which they were elite, but they need a bat. But what Kipnis said, this team, we thought this team was going to hit. We yeah. thought this team had picked up some eh, decent pieces. We really like Gosman. We thought Manoa was going to be what Manoa was for the 2022 season. He wasn't. So if this team hits... That's why their projections, when you look at all the Blue Jays' projections, that's why they're so high. Because if this lineup doesn't hit, to me, I don't think you need to add a Bellinger. I think you might need to switch out your hitting coach. Sorry, poor hitting coach. Hitting coaches' jobs in Major League Baseball are fleeting. Everyone loses them. I think it's like a year and a half is the average hitting coach job. But they need to be able to all be clicking on the same cylinder. I mean, think about the fact that they lost Brandon Belt. The dude had like an 856 OPS, and they haven't resigned that yet. Like, Vladdy needs to pick it up. Bichette had a big, big year. I think Biggio was not what they thought Biggio was going to be. I don't know that he swings enough. But this, this lineup should be better than what it was last year. I just don't I don't see as Ken said, paper tigers. Yeah, that's right. Don't you think they need to switch things up too? That's my only thing. Like, Kip, I get what you're saying where they're kind of building themselves. The problem is, I mean, you're getting close to Bo Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. free agency too, you know, and some of their starting rotation's good, but getting older. So I feel like they are very much in their winning window. The past couple of years haven't done much. Their winning window might only last for another two years right now. So I just expected them to do more. Like Ken said, they'll probably add a lefty bat. Maybe that's just bringing Belt back or like a Jock Peterson. There's obviously some good DHs. Like I think a Soler would crush there or a JD Martinez, Justin Turner on the market. But I don't know. I just, I feel like there's got to be something. Give, give me something to switch it up or some dude that walks through the clubhouse and you're like, oh shit, things are going to be different with this guy. Oh, <laughs> make, make no mistake. It's, it's when now it's time to go for their, their team. Absolutely. They're getting a little bit older. It's time you, you can't use that they're younger anymore. Now you've got a couple big league seasons under most of their, uh, their best players. I think I love their lineup. I do think it is a little top heavy. I think maybe there is a little, uh, a drop off maybe after the fifth or sixth guy, if I recall correctly, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a win-now mode, and I think instead of looking at it like a handcuff with this signing, uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, you can never have too many starting pitchers. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, that's and, fair. Jorge Soler, Blue Jays. Yeah, that's my I would call. love that. I would love that. It's a good call. A couple yeah. quick stats yeah. on them. I mean, their offense, rankings-wise, was mid. Eighth in runs in the American League, so out of 15 teams. Eighth in homers. Um Sixth in OPS, team OPS plus was 106, so just 6% better than league average, which, you know, is, is yeah. mid. They were, yeah. they were mid. It's mid. They were They're not supposed offense. to be mid. No. no. Hey, let's bring in our first guest of the day on FT Live, our friend, and sometimes plays her best Scott Braun impression better than Scott Braun does. Uh, Britt Giroli from The Athletic joining us right now. You like that line? Uh, Britt, great to see you. <laughs> let's just bring the Toronto Blue Jays conversation here first for a quick sec because we've been covering this team the last few years thinking that they're at one point a sleeper to be a World Series team. Now the last couple of years, people are just like, oh, this team should be in the World Series with that rotation and some of the superstar potential in there. Are you satisfied with their offseason so far? No, uh, not at all. I think, listen, a lot of their offseason was obviously predicated on the idea that they were going to be a serious player for Shohei Otani. So 
no matter what now, it kind of feels like a letdown, right? Had they got Otani, we'd be talking about how Toronto really is you know, one of, if not the team to beat in the American League and just how that really changes the power dynamic in the ALEs. But honestly, guys, it's funny. I was talking to a front office person yesterday about this, but is the window closing? Is it almost closed when you think about Toronto? Because you look at these guys like Vladdy and Bo Bichette, and they really haven't gotten better the way we projected them to, right? So are they closing this window for a championship? Because, you know, this city is pretty starved. You know, they haven't had a whole lot of success, particularly in the postseason in quite some time. And you just wonder if you're going to look back on it and say, that's the epitome of a team where we all thought, look at this young core coming up. They're going to get veterans when the time is right. And they're going to go to, you know, two, three, four league championships, maybe a World Series here and there. And they haven't. They haven't been able to replicate that success since the 1990s. And I just wonder if the, it's going to take another group of new faces before they get there again. So, no, I'm not satisfied with their winter at all. I think they needed to go out and spend a lot of money and show people that this is the time, and they haven't really done that, even though we know they've tried, right? We know they've gone after Otani. But to me, the plan B that they're now executing leaves a lot to be desired. Sorry, Britt. I got a call from the Orioles. They were like, wait a minute. Are you talking about us in three years, four years? Is that what? I, I That's just another team. Yes. It, it's another team. But you said at the beginning of your whole statement, welcome again. You're one of my favorite hosts. Scott has now moved down to number three. But <laughs> we, you said, yeah, they haven't. They've had kind of a disappointing offseason. Sons? Sons Dodgers? Who hasn't? Yeah. Had a disappointing offseason. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's been a really slow burn, guys. I was off for like two weeks around the holidays. I came back <laughs> and, you know, I, I had like carved out a half a day to catch up on everything I missed. I missed nothing. It turns out I missed nothing. Nothing has happened. So you're right. You can't just pigeonhole Toronto and say they haven't done anything when, hello, Baltimore Orioles here in my backyard who, you know, probably aren't going to get a frontline pitcher, which is all they've needed. So you look around, and if everyone has mediocre off seasons, does that mean you don't fall behind the pack, right? Like, is that the way to look at it, I guess, if you're a Toronto or you're a Baltimore? Is that like, you know, the Yankees get Juan Soto? I, I would say the Yankees offseason has been okay, um, even though he is a rental. We all know he's headed to free agency. Uh, they do get that, you know, power bat that they so needed that fits that stadium very well. Um, but otherwise, you're right. It's a whole lot of, like, right? Like just like passing grades for these teams. And part of it is it's a very weak position player, free agent class past Otani. We're still waiting on Cody Bellinger to sign, right? And obviously we've got Snell and Montgomery and there's a lot of pieces that are still going to come off the board. But I think, you know, this has been really a downer of a hot stove for MLB in general. It, I kind of think back to the Harper Machado year where nothing happened until those two signed really in March. And it kind of has felt like that even though there's no Bryce Harper and Manny Machado at the end of this rainbow. You know, there's some Blake Snells and there's some exciting pieces here. But, yeah, the Orioles, in my mind, they're, in, they're up there with Toronto. They may even get a lower grade, guys, because they have the pieces to trade. They have the ability to trade for Dylan Cease. Now, is it too high? You know, that is an eye of the beholder. Is the cost too high if you don't have another choice? I don't know. Is it, you know, they lose Kyle Gibson, who was such a force in their clubhouse, he pitched, I think it was right around 190 innings, and they haven't replaced him. Where do those innings come from? You know, they're not going to get a Blake Snell. So if you don't trade for Dylan Cease and you don't use that prospect capital to make an impact move, are you just betting that there's going to be pieces there in July for you? Are you just betting that all these guys who performed very well and above their projections are going to continue to do that? It's a really precarious spot that they're in for sure. Let's, I mean, let's not ignore the fact uh, the division they play in makes this kind of the whole tough thing. They were, they won 89 games. I think that would have won the AL Central by a few games. I think if they want to keep up with these teams, uh, they're going to have to make a splash. I know we just talked right before you got on here about their lineup and uh, who they brought back. I know you said Kiermeyer. Are there any other lefty bats? Like, is there a, is there a 0% chance for Cody Bellinger to land there if they wanted to make that big splash? Who, what other lefty bats exist out there on the market right now? Because they're kind of a, a right-handed dominant lineup here. Yeah, I was looking at it. There's not a whole lot because the yeah. Nationals, that's their, that's their primary hole too. Is the Nationals need a left-handed like power bat. Brandon Belt is kind of that next level a little bit, but they, there's not a whole lot, which is part of the reason why 
I think Cody Bellinger hasn't signed. They're holding out, hoping that he gets a, a really significant payday because he's a lot of teams only option right now, including, like you said, Toronto. And, you know, obviously the Chicago Cubs want to bring him back. And there's just a lot of interest because there aren't any options. So, yes, I agree with you on Toronto. You know, if they were in another division, we may have viewed it through a different lens on one hand. On the other, the Rogers Center, is, they're, they're a publicly traded team, right? So they, and they're trying to get upgrades to the stadium and they're trying to really sell all these luxury boxes. If you're going to do that, you have to give people a reason to believe that you are committed to this team winning. And that means bringing out the big guns. That means getting the big names. Yes, getting Otani would have absolutely changed the whole direction of that franchise, the whole direction of, of baseball in Canada as a country. But if you get a guy like Bellinger, that still makes people believe, okay, they're trying. They're really going for it. You know, we know Toronto has money to spend. We have heard Ross Atkins talk about them wanting to be aggressive, wanting to push the envelope. And like I said, I think there is a belief that they are at the point where that window is going to start shutting. So, you know, if I'm Toronto, I'm going out there very strongly after Cody Bellinger because there aren't a whole lot of other options. I mean, as I mentioned, Brandon Belt, we're getting into a significant drop-off here now. We're getting into a point where you're looking at guys who are either old or you're really hoping to have bounce-back years or, you know, you're not sure how much longer they're going to play. So Bellinger is a guy who is young enough to be that veteran centerpiece of a team that's going to be good for the next couple of years. You know, he's, he's a guy who can do that for you. He can do that for a Toronto Blue Jays, for a Washington Nationals, who I don't think will be in play for Bellinger at all. But, you know, he, in my opinion, is one of those guys left that will make a team say, you know what, we didn't win the offseason. That already went to the Dodgers, you know, the second that they got Yamamoto after getting Otani. But you know what, we did better than most other teams, and I think that's how you have to play it right now. You know what the Blue Jays should say? They should tell their fan base, we want to go full throttle. I feel like that's like an original term that someone should use at some point when they really want to go for it. So just in case that was used in Boston, I just want to clarify that Tom Warner, who's part of the ownership group, was asked this week about the comment. And he basically said, and I'll use at least one part of the line that he gave back, it was not the, quote, most artful comment. But he does believe that Craig Breslow is going to build a winning team ahead of opening day. Um, and here's one more line from him. I quote, I guess the message is that we are confident we're going to field a competitive team. We're going to let Craig do what he does best, which is to build exactly that. It sounded like, and I'll paraphrase completely here when Breslow spoke this week to Pete Abraham, that he basically said, oh, we're going to let the young kids play and have a good time, which to me means we're going to be in last place because our pitching sucks and we've got a nice young <laughs> core that's going to take the next, what, two years to build if we don't add stars on free agency to do so. So what do you think about the Red Sox duping their fan base? Yeah, it's funny because I think somebody wrote that recently, as, as recent as like last month, like Red Sox still believe they can make impact moves. And now you're seeing them walk it all back and it's become, well, you know, we changed over baseball operations. We, you know, that restarts the clock that all these executives love to play on these three to five year clocks. Well, you can't possibly now have Breslow be responsible for Heim Bloom's clocks. So and now the whole process starts back over and this year becomes an, a year to evaluate, right? I think it's all BS. I think if the Red Sox wanted to be the Red Sox again, they could have gone, flexed their financial might and gotten a few pieces to shorten this up. No, I think people that are Red Sox fans are irritated with, you know, the general direction of ownership and, and the way this team is run, which is not like they're the Boston Red Sox. It's like they're, they're Milwaukee Brewers, you know, and I think if you look at Boston and you look at some of their holes and look at the division they're in, if you're not going to make any upgrades, you're going to get left in the dust. And that's exactly what's going to happen here, because we talked about the Yankees having one of the better off seasons. You know, we talked about how the Orioles haven't really done anything, but on paper, the Orioles are ahead of Boston when it comes to their big league ready young talent. Those guys have already been in the big leagues for a year. They've already proven they could handle this arena, this stage, you know, the Gunnar Hendersons, the Adley Rutschmans. So they already have that one up. Tampa Bay is good every year. And we talked about Toronto, who really is probably one big name away from being a legitimate threat to win that division. So where does that leave the Boston Red Sox, but in the basement? And I just don't know going forward what the plan is going to be from Craig Breslow, who inherited a very big job and, you know, and inherited an organization that isn't sure what they want to do. We've heard all these different directives from ownership. At first it was, you know, we need to be efficient. And they were obsessed with cap space and getting under the luxury tax. And, 
Now we hear that they're going to be aggressive again and they're going to be the Red Sox again and they're walking that back. So I just don't know if they have a clear sense of where they are headed and what they are doing, especially if they're going to let these young guys play. That is a two-year process, maybe longer, maybe three to four before you're actually playing in these American League Championship Series type games again. And that's an eternity if you're a Boston Red Sox fan. It's kind of, yeah, it's probably very frustrating for the Red Sox fans to have their team operate as a small market team for a few years. It must be terrible on them to have to deal with. Um, what, and I, people go through this sometimes, and you look at the rest of the division as you just spoke about. Um, is it the worst idea? No fan's going to want to give up on the next year or two, but is it the worst idea to look across your division Look that all these other teams that are in a win-now mode, maybe save some bullets, play the young guys, see what you got there, and then make your move here in about two or three years, maybe when some of these players are coming off the books on these other teams, and that might be your time to strike. No fan wants to hear that, but that might be the best way for Boston to get back there. But does anyone believe in two to three years that Tampa Bay is all of a sudden not going to be competitive? No. Does anybody believe in two to three years that the Orioles, with the game's best farm system – and a whole bunch of young players now are not going to be competitive. Those guys are still under team control. Does anybody believe that the New York Yankees, after missing the playoffs last year and, you know, the the huge firestorm that we've seen are all of a sudden in two to three years going to lay down, right? Like, so you, you can't play like that when you're in the division that you're in, I think at all, especially when you have the financial resources of the Boston Red Sox. So no, you know, I think, that the trendy thing for a while was to tank and then to try, but front offices are realizing now how damaging that is. You know, they're trying to avoid that. Now you are seeing less tanking because the game has also de-incentivized it, but also because it doesn't work for every Houston Astros, you know, fairy tale story, there's 10 other teams who tried and it didn't get done. So there's no guarantee that even if the Red Sox do this tank and try, that even if they're not going to be good for the next couple of years, that when it's their turn, that they're going to actually compete and that they're going to be the Red Sox again. I mean, it is hard to win, and they are in a division where these teams are almost all in win-now scenarios for, I would say, the next four, five, even six years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that by, <laughs> yeah, by the way, um, who is it? Bourbon and baseball in the chat said, do you think that's why it took so long for someone to accept the GM job? Yeah, I mean, we've had multiple people on here as guests that have said they've spoken to – uh, talented front office executives that have turned the job down because they don't feel like it's a respected job and it makes you look bad. It's a reputation killer to an extent. I mean, obviously Dave Dombrowski is not going to get his reputation killed for winning a world series and then them letting him go and then him having success in Philadelphia. But point is it's a messy job compared to most others. And those guys or girls, when they get an opportunity like that, they want stability. So, all right, let me take you to the news in the past 24 hours on the media front. So the excuse of the off season by far from ownership is TV money. We can't do anything. We've lost it all, right? So now we have this deal surfacing with Bally's and Amazon. And keeping in mind, it's a complicated story in terms of how all all the regional networks work. But we'll try and keep it high end because obviously people can Google and read tons of articles, including many in The Athletic, about what's going on here. What's your take on if Amazon gets involved on this front? Because I know you and me both have worked for the league in the past. And the one thing I do know is that the league would love to control all of the media and kind of have it all run from within the league office. But it doesn't sound like, A, that would be lucrative and B, that that would be some authentic baseball content. That's how I read it if I'm like from a fan's perspective. What do you think? Yeah, I think the same. I also think, you know, MLB has long salivated over what the NFL has, right? Which is everybody just splits the pie up. You don't have to worry about this big market, small market. You know, the league gets all of the money. They divide it all up. It's all under one umbrella. There's like a million reasons that won't work. One is that You know, the NFL is a very lucrative short season and all of those games are on national TV. Obviously, with baseball, you're just not going to have the the Royals, Brewers, Wednesday afternoon game, you know, broadcast on these national networks. It just doesn't make any sense. But MLB was kind of on the precipice, guys, of having at least 15, which would be half the league and their rights, had this deal not happened, had Amazon not stepped in and said, hey, we'll invest in Diamond Sports Group, hey, we'll help you guys out of bankruptcy in exchange, you know, for a part of this newly formed company that they're going to have. And, 
you know, it's my understanding that the 11 teams that Diamond Sports Group has, you know, are going to fall under this umbrella. Five of those teams, their streaming rights are owned by Diamond Sports. So you will be able to, if you're an in-market consumer, watch those on Amazon Prime. You know, and now I think from MLB's perspective, why this was such a gut punch is those other 11 teams, you know, which would have been free of all of this at the end of 2024 are now enveloped in a company that is probably not going to go bankrupt anymore. And now these teams can keep negotiating with Diamond Sports Group and Amazon about their individual TV rights. Right now it kind of renders MLB, which was the savior or, or hoping to be the savior and have all these rights fall into their lap. It renders them kind of useless here because if they had had those 15 rights, they could have gone to Amazon themselves. They could have gone to Hulu or anywhere and said, Hey, we've got this great package, 15 teams. You could own half the league's rights and they could have negotiated a streaming package and made money off of it. But now they are really an unnecessary party here because diamond sports group with this infusion of cash that Amazon is reportedly going to give them is not going to be bankrupt. They're going to change their direction. And with that, you really are kind of boxing MLB out of not only controlling all of the rights, which, as we said, probably a pipe dream, but now they're not even going to be able to go to Prime and say, hey, we have all these rights. We'd like to sell them. And even if all of these teams decide we want to be done with diamonds, you know, you are now negotiating at a, at a lesser cost. I mean, this is a huge player in Amazon Prime that MLB was hoping to take something to that now is already involved. So it just changes the whole process of who has the power and it definitely shifts that power away from MLB. Hey Kratz, so, before you ask a question, yeah, just sure. wanted to add on to what she's saying. It's a comment. So and maybe it's a somewhat hot take. MLB doesn't realize yeah. this yet, but this is great news for them long term to have another place involved and not them just doing everything. It's just bad when a, one company is controlling everything. And that includes the content that's going on the screen. If it's one step removed and a place has to be critical. If it's coming from the league, they're going to stomp on it, even if it's good for the game to talk about a topic. If they're one step removed and it's Bally's and Amazon and you get a call from an owner complaining to the league, they're going to say, it's not our network. If it's the league, they have to address it. And they're going to call producers and broadcasters and say, hey, so you know how the Orioles owner just said he's not going to sign guys for over 150 Miller is going to charge extra for seats. It's a crazy topic that everyone wants to talk about for the week, but we can't talk about it. And we're the only place to go for these games. So if you take that one step away, I think it's actually going to help them and ultimately make them more money. And also, if you have more places working for you to collect money and do sales, if it's all coming from one place, in my mind, this is just my entrepreneurial brain. I think it's a loss. I just don't think they realize that. That's fair. Yeah. And I also think, too, that Amazon Prime is a big deal. Everyone gets Prime. Everyone has Prime, right? You're not like putting yourself on Peacock, which people got so upset when the NFL did that, right, for one of the playoff games. So this is actually a really good thing in my mind as well for that reason. And now I think if you look at what, you know, MLB is going to be able to do, I mean, now you kind of have to look at it as, are they going to try to retain some of these teams that they already have? Are they going to try to sell these mini packages, you know, sell the Padres to Prime? I don't know how that's going to work, but I do think that it's better if Amazon Prime has these games and they're not under that just singular umbrella. Yeah, Amazon's a great brand. Sorry, Kratz, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I, 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 this is all like I'm just trying to learn all this. Like to me, when all this came out, it was written, I think it was Alden Alden's – um, article, Gonzalez. Arden Gonzalez's, thank you, his article, he was like, well, MLB is, they were kind of floored, you know, they were surprised by this. What was MLB's plan? Was it just to be like, oh, well, we're just going to be here to kind of wait and see until everything hits rock bottom, and then we'll just be like, oh, we'll just swoop this up. It's like MLB <laughs> doesn't have a plan, and if they had gotten it, just like Scott said, it's like you, you probably would have run it like I hate to use the word monopoly, but a monopolistic view. And we just only ever see how the certain people that make decisions in MLB will help grow the game. And I don't think that's good. So what was their plan with before Amazon came in to like help this whole situation out other than, oh, well, we'll just take it all once 
once nobody else can afford it. Well, and Brady, you spot on because you know also um, if the league runs the whole thing eventually, what companies will do is they will try and obviously contract jobs and kind of centralize everything, right? So yeah. that includes pre- and post-game shows or any kind of content revolving around teams. And we know in our sport, the MLB, MLB is not the NFL. So when you have the pre and the post on CBS and Fox and all these spots, right, before and after games, and then they start talking about the rest of the league, that works for the NFL. That does not work for Major League Baseball. So you need to have 30 separate shows and content plans and not just like two people saying, hey, thanks for watching Yankees Red Sox. Now let's talk about the Pirates and do a live look for 20 minutes. That doesn't work. Does this does this help blackouts in any way? Um, it might, like, say you're an in-market fan and you cut cable, right, and you don't feel like paying for MLB TV, then I think it does, right? Especially if you're one of those five teams that there is streaming rights to. I think, for example, the Detroit Tigers are one of them. So, you know, if you don't get Bali Sports Detroit and you were tired of, you know, paying for your cable package or whatever, and but you have Amazon Prime and you live in Detroit or in that, you know, greater metro area, I, my understanding is you will now be able to watch those games. Now, the question nobody can answer is, is there an additional fee? Does it come, does it come with Prime Video? Do you have to pay some kind of you know, premium access? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows yet what that's going to look like. But I do think it could help because a lot of people, like myself included, have cut cable. And unless you're buying the whole league package, which is what I buy every year, because I care about all 30 teams, most people just care about one, unless you're doing it you know, that way, you're not able to watch your team. So it should help. And getting back to your question, Kratz, MLB was in like, they were in mediation. They were like basically talking things over with Diamond where they were trying to reach some kind of resolution for this year. That was all they were worried about was this year, what was going to happen to those 11 teams that Diamond had. Because MLB saw the big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which was at the end of 24, they would take all those teams because Diamond Sports Group was really on track to be liquidated this year. So they were not going to exist anymore. So that's kind of what MLB was doing is that they were under the impression that they were just negotiating some way to get these teams paid, some temporary band-aid over basically a bullet hole for this whole solution. And now Amazon steps in at the last minute with a Hail Mary of cash and says, wait, wait, we don't need to go liquidate this. Let's form a new company. Here's some money. You know, we'll take all these things over to Prime. So MLB, you know, it's, if you read all the quotes, they were totally blindsided. They didn't know this was even an option. They didn't know that this was as close to done as it's certainly being reported that it is. And so that was their whole role in this is to kind of, as, as you said, kind of catch everybody, kind of be that golden parachute, like, hey, come over here, we'll put you on our network, just like we did with San Diego, right? That was what they thought. They didn't think they had any hindrance, any obstacles in the way. And then Amazon showed up and now we're talking about a decidedly different model moving forward. Brilliant move by Amazon, by the way, Kratz, trying to educate you as much as possible, because think about it. Would you rather negotiate with a company that is in bankruptcy and more open to creative ideas or with a company that controls everything and has all the leverage? Right. So would they rather <laughs> negotiate with MLB when they have all the teams or would they rather negotiate with Bally's, who is going to probably play nicer in the sandbox with them? 100 percent. Yeah. It's easy. So. It's cool. It's been fun to follow. I think this is a huge win. If it all goes through, I think there's still a lot that has to be figured out. But if it all goes through, I think it's a massive win for baseball fans. So stay tuned on that front. Britt, great to see you. Thank you. So actually, wait, one more thing. Um, one more follow-up because I remember this from earlier on the Nationals. Um, are they going to do anything this offseason in the Jason Worth realm of bringing that next wave of talent through, right? Like you can debate Worth's um, production on the field a little bit if the contract was worth it. But I think most people would say that was like a, a demarcation line. Like now we're trying again. This is going to be mm -hmm. a competitive team. Sure, we're a little early, but actually most of the time teams are not that early. We thought the Rangers were early and they won the freaking World Series. So wh why aren't the Nationals taking a plan like that? In my mind and through some things behind the scenes that I've talked to um, with people that are somewhat important. I've heard it has to do with ownership and the mm -hmm. fact that they are still looking to kind of test the waters and see if they'll sell the team. And if that's the case, they don't want to wrap up these massive contracts with free agents, especially ones that are 30 plus. I think Soto was a separate case. Yeah, that's correct. There's so much like 
there's so much uncertainty at the top is what I have heard. And it still remains that way. And it kind of hamstrings what Mike Rizzo can do. And they've really essentially done nothing. If you look at this off season, now they're going to have to do something, right? This can't be it for the Washington nationals in terms of like their off season plans. But I don't think, and I mentioned this earlier, Cody Bellinger is a great example, right? That's a signing where you're like, okay, they believe that we can be good in 2025. They're going to bring this guy in. They're going to pay him a lot of money and we're going to have that veteran presence again. Like we're going to be legit. Um, that's just not going to happen. That's not in the cards. You know, I don't think ownership sees it that way. They right now want to keep their assets down, keep that payroll low, and hopefully figure out a solution to their own mind-numbing TV issues and then find a buyer. Because that's really what's holding up their sale is the continued litigation with Masson and the Orioles over TV rights. So, you know, you look at the Nationals and don't forget that anyone buying that team is paying Steven Strasburg's contract. They're paying deferred money to uh, Max Scherzer for a long time. They're paying Patrick Corbin's salary for the next couple of years. There is money on the books for the Nationals. It is a, a, a little bit of buyer's remorse on some of these deals that they kicked out so far. So if the Nationals right now, are, if you take all that out, their payroll is small, but they can't take that payroll out. And anybody looking to buy that team is going to look at those checks and balances. So right now, don't expect anything exciting. I mentioned their top needs for a lefty power bat. I also mentioned that there's not a whole lot out there. So for national fans, unfortunately, it looks like they're just going to keep playing the young guys, keep giving people who wouldn't have a chance to be in the big leagues otherwise a chance on the Washington Nationals and really look at 2025. It's kind of that year where they feel like Dylan Cruz could be a guy who, you know, really has it together. You know, Jackson Rutledge, you know, I think they're really looking at 2025 as a time to kind of push their chips in it and maybe just maybe have a little bit more certainty when it comes to that ownership role. So they're I know doing, one. They try. Yeah. Yeah. They're pulling, to try. they're pulling it. It's the division that plays a big factor on that. Then. True. Yeah. It's a tough division. I know one thing, if you have a problem, don't bring it into baseball because it'll just last forever. The Nats and Orioles TV situation, <laughs> oh. blackouts, the Rays and A's ballpark situation, all of these things have existed since I was essentially in diapers. So maybe one day something will get solved. But in the meantime, Britt, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, you can follow Britt at Britt underscore Giroli. Check out her work in The Athletic, and obviously she's on SNY and on here. So, Britt, great to see you, and we'll talk to you soon. And, you know, hopefully one or two out of the one billion free agents sign in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, let's get to spreading rumors for a few minutes, and we're going to talk to Austin Slater of the San Francisco Giants, and he's going to tell us who else the Giants are going to sign this offseason. So maybe not Hector Neris at this price, and you know I'm all about the people and labor and paying for <laughs> talent. But Hector Gomez with the tweet that Hector Neris is seeking a three-year, $50 million deal in free agency. And it's coming after his teammate Kendall Graveman goes down for the season, which is a tough loss for the Houston Astros. I mean, if you look at who pitched for the Astros out of their bullpen last year and who's left, it is actually pretty scary. And I know they've been able to grow young pitching talent on trees for a while now, but... I'm not just talking about the Astros. Hector Neris clearly thinks that, you know, his services are worth $50 million. He's coming off ERA wise, a season that was absurd. Although if you look at like the FIP and, you know, the walk strikeout, stuff like that, his peripherals were pretty similar to the year before. He is one of the better relievers in the sport. I do think Kratz, it's going to be tough for him to get more than Jordan Hicks at four years, 44. Cause even if Hicks doesn't work out as a starter, is he not a more highly regarded reliever based on stuff and age and um and what he's done in the past couple of years too not all those no. things age age yes absolutely but you're talking about a guy that goes to me if you sign Naris, and i don't think he's going to get 50 i think he's more like a 39 to 42 range mm -hmm. so reach for 50 so you get 40 that's fair but he's a guy that just goes out and gets it done. You talk about his peripherals. Yes, his peripherals are not as great as you would say his ERA, 171, and it kind of came out a little bit in the playoffs. He is going to throw that splitter until the game is over. Either it's going to be strike three, it's going to be ball four and you lose, it's going to be bases loaded, and he's going to throw six straight of them and get three straight outs with the bases loaded. Like, 
he is going to throw that pitch, and it's really a secondary pitch as a heater, which he still runs up there to 96, so it's not like he doesn't have a heater. It's the issue of his whip, you know, those peripheral things, which last year were essentially right on par with his career. So if you didn't think he was good enough last year, which he had, you know, he had his deals that he was going through with Houston – then you might not think he's that great this year. But to me, he will be the guy, I think, after Stevenson signs. I think after Robert Stevenson signs, haters in another class. But I think he will be the guy that teams will go after. Can I ask a question? Because you brought up – I missed this uh, episode. I don't know if you guys probably – I'm sure you guys did talk about it. Uh, What are your two opinions on making Jordan Hicks a starter? You like that move? Because I kind of like having a guy who throws 104 for an inning rather than I, – I enjoy that rather than changing it and trying to see what he is as a starter. The reason I like it is because it's Sam Fran. They are clearly bent as an organization as not – as being completely okay with not being able to eat innings. And I don't think he's going right. to eat innings. Here's my – and I have a stipulation to it. Him in the bullpen, it, there's an intimidation factor – of the fact that he hits 105 miles an hour, absolutely. But he's not even striking out until last year. This is my stipulation. He's, he wasn't even striking out a batter per inning. To me, at the end of the game, especially in a place like San Francisco, <clears throat> you need guys that – I mean, not in a place like San Francisco. You just need guys that let guys put the ball in play. Okay? So you don't need to strike out because it is hard to hit dingers there. It's low-scoring games. So I love that part of it for him. But one thing he did last year was he added a four-seamer. And we actually talked to Ryan Helsley about it because he was his catch partner. And he started throwing a four-seamer that really acted almost like because his sinker runs so much, it almost acted like a cutter. It didn't cut, but it acted like a cutter. And it was a top of the zone as a third pitch for him. So that pitch alone – He only walked one guy on the four-seamer. Granted, he's not probably throwing it when he's in a ball, you know, a three-ball count. But he has 18 punch-outs on the pitch, and it bumped his strikeouts to more than a strikeout per inning. So can he continue that trend? Maybe. I just don't like it because there's there's just not a lot of – there's not a lot of success of guys going from bullpen to starting. But if there's a team – to me, if he would have gone to the Rays and signed the same contract, Rays aren't paying anybody $44 million, then I would have liked it too. Because of how they use their guys, I think it's I think it's good for the Giants. I don't know how successful he'll be as a starter. Okay. That's fun to think. And then also you just said it, there's the rabbit hole of going down where how hard it is to hit it out at night at San Fran just makes you oh. laugh about Barry Bonds even more. <laughs> Talk about yeah. supplements. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, True. If he played in a different stadium, home stadium. I, I can't even Nine he would have had more he would have had more walks. Like like that's mm. I, I just don't I don't understand how he did what he did. Yeah, it's incredible. Putting balls, yeah, putting balls where he put them, it is it's it's ridiculous. It, it is it really is ridiculous to be able to do what he did as a left-handed hitter in that park. He yeah. would get one or two pitches a night, and he would homer off both of them if there were I two. <laughs> people don't appreciate that, too. That's legitimately like everything's out of the zone. He literally would see two strikes a game, and it'd be like a double and a home run. It would just be the most incredible thing ever. And so. and he was doing it. Everybody looks at him, you know, oh, you know, look how big and hulking he was. As many Barry Bonds as there were, there was that many st- – pitchers that were on the juice too so he sure. was, he was facing some cheese he was facing some dudes that were beamed out of their mind and oh, his, he was his, getting some good stuff his at bat versus eric gagne is still oh. one of the at bats to watch of anything two juicers just getting after it yeah. <laughs> obviously before all that he was an incredible ball player but but he oh. wasn't one or two pitches a night and they're going you know 90 miles so that's he's he, a sun he devil. Was, he was getting the good stuff. Oh, yeah, he was. Wow. He's a you. That's same, I, same. Yeah, I mean, same body type, but uh, that's, that's, let's slap hands. 
Kratz hats that has a new addition to it. So Kip, pay extra attention to what Kratz has. Go ahead. Slater's got incredible beard, beard game, by the way. Mm-hmm. Just a Pittsburgh Pirate. It's my first ever, first ever call up hat. Ooh. Look at that. Number 38 in there. Oldie but a good. Oh, man. The nostalgia factor the nostalgia. is going up the grade. But you got to grade so, Kip, it. You got to grade it like elementary school status so a through f what do you think of the hat and you know anything can go into your grade i'm going with a c plus and i'm saying it's it's an original hat because i really do like the vintage pittsburgh ones more uh there's nothing fancy about the hat itself but i do like that it's the call-up one so okay nice right in, in the middle for me that's why i get a we get the vibes here Kratz, he's going to be a tough grader. The vintage Pittsburgh hats are some of the coolest hats around, though. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I yeah. I should have I should have you next time. I'll try to remember Kip's on vintage pirate hat. But I mean, that's just it's just a simple. There's nothing. There's not much to that one. Mm-mm. All right, ready for this guest list tomorrow? We'll be at Todd Father's. Kratz, are you making a little trip too? I'm not, and it's looking like there's going to be some snow, so. Ooh, that actually oh, fantastic i can't wait for that so yeah, I'm across the country I'm trying to make it there i'll do my best um hopefully at todd fathers tomorrow but we will have a show regardless davis schneider the living legend on the toronto blue jays ken rosenthal back at you with some rumors and reports and all that and will anyone sign aaron boone of the new york yankees the skipper Back for another season. We'll get his evaluation of how the offseason's going so far for the Yanks. Good, good looking guests. Yeah, hell yeah. And one more reminder, there are hoodies. If you're in a cold place, foulterritoryshop.com. Otherwise, if you're in like Arizona or Florida or something like that, yes, there will be a hoodie delivered by a stork. It'll, it'll drop it right in your lap at some point when you're in the office, you know, planning the big restaurant reveal and all that in the opening. So hoodie coming soon. Um, but for everyone else, check it out. Foulterritoryshop.com. We will see you on Friday. Later, peeps. If your water is dripping, you need a hoodie. <laughs> We've got a new offer for the FT fam with the same bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L. Bet $5, get $158 instantly. Place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through the BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5, and you'll receive $158 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app, sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account, Place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. And once you've placed a bet, you'll receive $158 in bonus bets, regardless of the outcome of your wager. Again, that's bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.